Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our masters. Your hosts are Nancy L. Hopkins and Walt Silva. Producing the show is Colleen Kelly. The theme song is called Disturbance and is written and performed by Renate Jet and Jet Music. You are listening to Wolf Spirit Radio at wolfspiritradio.com. Emotionally undercover for a lover overdressed. The cycle is created long before you start to think that the blink is your decision what you do. No clue for the food fighter. And we are live. Hi, Nancy and Walt. Hello, Colleen. Hi, hi, hi. How are you? Why is Nancy so low? Nancy, stand up. Is Nancy low? Am I low? Because JP had me turn down my mic. Am I okay on you, Colleen? You you sound good to me. Uh, Keep on talking. Let me check your level against Walt. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, now let me hear Walt. Hello there, one, two, three, one, two, three. Okay, you both sound fine. Your levels look about even in here, so here we go. It's just Walt, then. <laughs> Blame it on Walt. Oh, uh, let me put the cat down. Oh, there, you stay right there, okay? Yeah, let's stay there. Okay, it's hi, everybody out there um, in Radio Land. This is March 1st. Uh, 2016, and my name is Nancy Hopkins. My co-host is Walt Silver. Our producer is Colleen Kelly. You're listening to Wolf Spirit Radio Network, and uh, Haggy Shack uh, Radio is the producer today. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit defrazzled. The whole day has been a little bit screwy <laughs> since the moment I got up. Um, I had a neck ache. And it just, I was going to the chiropractor, and this got in the way, and that got in the way, and that got in the way. Finally, I never went to the chiropractor, but I kept trying to treat it. And I talked to Colleen a little bit ago, and then I put some ice on it, fell asleep like boom. And thank God I locked the dog out, because if the dog hadn't needed to come in, I'd probably still be sleeping. My neck is fine. So that's a good thing. But it's also uh, got me a little bit frazzled, because our guest is not on today. He... um He's postponed. He wasn't feeling well. So apparently he thought two hours of radio was stressing. <laughs> who, who was the uh, guest? There is a secret. Uh, well, it was Lenny. He was going to talk about the dinar. Dinar? Oh. But he'll, be, he'll, he'll get with us. We'll get with him. Um, so, um, Walt, what, what, what do you got in mind? We've talked about a couple of things, but um, how are you doing? What's happening? Uh, well, I wanted to know that that secret uh, sentence that uh, Colleen said it was really mystifying. So I wanted to hear the full story, unless you don't trust the audience not to spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the the statement Max made. Yeah, something about helping the Navajo water issue if Gaia allows it. Well, well, what happened was that on the show you said um, that. Maybe we could get... Now, we call Max and his um, people the out-of-towners. Yep. Just so you know, when we say out-of-towners, we're talking about Max and his people. Um, and you said, well, maybe the out-of-towners can uh, help with the Navajo water problem. And my question to you was, why are you fixated on that? But I, you, you just seen it, 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 it... Because the reason is, is that I think that you're very guided, and if you get fixated on something, well, maybe... I should be paying attention to it too. So um, that was 
what started, I guess that's what, what instigated the statement to you. Okay. Um, he sent it to me and Colleen and Dolly and apparently he didn't have you on the list. So when I saw it, to be honest, Walt, it kind of pissed me off because why is Walt being asked? (laughs) (laughs) You only want to deal with a man? What's this about? You know? And, and I, it was late at night. I was tired, but I, I did laugh at myself. I'm going like, oh, well, that's an interesting thing. And then I had to remember, recall what the situation was. And when you, when you asked me that, um, I said, no, we, we don't want to ask them to do anything because it's very much, in my opinion, as if you had a kid come home and you said, well, give me your homework so I can do it. You're not helping that kid out. You know, we've got to do these things ourselves. Now, I happen to believe in my heart of hearts that the out-of-towners have something to learn from us. They may not realize it, or maybe they do. I don't think they're just here to help us. I think they're here to help themselves. Because in any kind of interaction, you always get something whether you know it or not. So um, I basically told Max that, that, you know, we've got to do these things ourselves. And I appreciate your people protecting us so that we have the time to be able to get to where we're going. And I said, and at that point, maybe there'll be something that we can teach you. Well, uh, that's like what you're saying. It's uh, the blatant contrast between a so-so acceptable educator and a really excellent educator because a good, you know, fair educator will give you the answer to the problem that you're working on. But a good, excellent educator will teach you how to get the answer yourself. And the difference is day and night because when you discover something by yourself, you have just realized the information, not just learn it intellectually because those are the, the three stages of getting to any knowledge is that, okay, first you have the assimilation, right? You go to a classroom and a teacher is giving you a class on history, math, or whatever. So then, so, so the next step is your intellectual understanding of it. But until you take that knowledge and use it somewhere, you haven't realized it. You just know it up here floating in your intellect, but it's disconnected from reality. It's like uh, riding a bike. You can read a book about riding a bike, and, it, and you can understand it intellectually, but until you get on that bike and actually ride it and not fall off and break your neck, you have not realized that knowledge, that knowing. And that's a big, that's a big difference. You know, a, a, a good educator you know, will give you, okay, here's, here's the problem, and the answer is this. But a, a really good educator will teach you how you get the answer. That it's it's in you. The the knowledge how to get the answer is in you, and just guides you. Doesn't doesn't tell you what the answer is. And and, and these guys are all gung ho to come in. Okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do this. Okay, hello. What are we? We got you know paintings on the wall. <laughs> well, um, what it did, I, I didn't respond to it. I just you know. Waited until I, I listened to certain people, and one of them being the Native Americans who say, "Sleep on it." You got a big decision, sleep on it. And uh, 
responding to him was a big decision. I mean, because I had to figure out, A, what am I actually interpreting as his meaning? And B, uh, what do I want to say? How do I want to set it up with him? And when I got up in the morning, I realized that for whatever purpose he may have had in writing it, it made me realize that, no, we got to start acting. We've got to start doing. We can talk about it all day long, but we got to start. Now, you and I have done a massive amount of, of work in this field because we would come on the radio and we would say, well, we just, well, I mean, the, the big one is the tick and flea thing, which blew up in our face, but it you know, taught you me know, things. You know why, though? Yes. Why do you think? Because we didn't get invited. You see, all those other times, remember I told you about our human design, you, me, we're projectors. The only way we can function effectively is to get invited. I that, get invited. That, us. That, holds, that, that holds true all the time because I realize that when I've done a shamanic journey for someone, for a client, and Gaia hijacks me and sends me in another direction, that's her. That's it. That's her. She's inviting me to do something. Of my own initiative, I cannot initiate that, no matter how much I want to go out there and do shamanic journeys and see this and see that. No. But when she invites you and, and she takes you and says, okay, before you do this, come over here. I need this taken care of. That's an invitation. And you are super effective and what needs to be done gets done. But the thing with the flea tick that was, we were, we were acting like manifestors. We were initiating. Nobody invited, invited us to initiate that. It was just our own, you know, fancy. <laughs> And, 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 and Gaia never, I, I, no matter how many times I asked her about it, she just wouldn't respond to me. Yeah. You know, it was like, it's not my problem. You know, she, it was almost like she didn't care one way or the other. But I, I, I never underestimate, I mean, they were always teaching, teaching, teaching. Anything a guy yeah. tells you is eventually going to be a teaching event. Yeah. And so, um, I just proceeded with it and, um, I think it was, see, when you when you have a when you have a cohesiveness of thought, a positive thought, then of course it's much more powerful than a thought that has doubt in it or somebody there that's going, I don't believe this or you know because they're throwing a whammy in it. And yes, you're absolutely right. We I set us up because we weren't asked to do that. <laughs> and um, so that comes down to to the, back to the Navajos and the, the water. First off, well, um, Walt didn't, Walt, Max didn't even, wouldn't have even seen that. He, he, you know, it's not your decision. And in fact, it's really not Gaia's decision. It's the Navajo themselves. They have to make a, they, they, they have to basically reach out and say, help me. For us to help him. When we, when we went in and did the, um, the Gold King mine disaster, it was because we were asked by Linda Morse, who was right there where it happened. There you have it. You know? So right. everything went spectacular. And we were working in the etheric. It was an amazing experience. We were very, very out there in the edge of the woo-woo land, down the deep end of the rabbit hole. But, when when we got the gin, we were working with a gin. 
the gen um, were the ones that stopped me and said, "Are the devices, the etheric devices, energy devices that we had we had put there, um, are they on?" And I checked with Guy, and she said, "Wait." And so, even though we had an etheric storyline as to how we could make a miraculous change of events there at the mine. Even even though we had the gin working with us and Gaia was there and, you know, all of the elementals, we had an enormous amount of powerful beings that were focused on the same mission. Still, the light workers. I, say again? Remember that you detected that there were tons of light workers focusing on that problem? Yes, well, that's what I'm about to say, is that Gaia um, stopped us and said, wait. And then I, I asked her, what are we waiting for? And every time you ask a question, you will get an answer. And she sent me a vision of um, the Shungite field, the satellite field. I mean, I was up above the, the satellites, and I could see the field. But I could also see this amazing, it was like little dots of light that were coming up from the surface, all just kind of like bubbles of light coming up all over the place, all over the United States. And then I saw them kind of like get to the level of the, of, I don't know, it was in, they, once they got into the Shungai field, it was like they all kind of got attracted to each other until it was a huge ball of energy, not all these single little lights, it was a huge ball of energy. And as soon as that huge ball of energy was, you know, uh, cohesive, it was all together, it was, you know, structured for lack of another word, boom, that's when everything turned on. Without that powerful influx of energy, I would have to say that we probably would have failed then too. However, we had the backup of the 3D story of putting the water turtle in the, in, in the river. Um, and once, so, so the etheric we believe, I believe worked, but to give other people, um, a storyline, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? It was definitely the thought that said, I'm going to make a chicken. <laughs> and the egg is the story is how the chicken got there. So it's the same sort of thing. We needed a storyline to be able to tell 3D people. It was like my, my old boss, you know, I'm, he, he got interested in the, me telling him what I was doing. And I said, you know, and he said, yeah, they never, they never know, can't explain where that stuff went. And I said, well, I can tell you, we threw a turtle in there, a Shanghai <laughs> turtle. And so, okay, well, that's what he can, that's what he can understand, you know. And for all I know, maybe that's all it needed to begin with. But we had the storyline. But again, it comes back to that concept of two things. Permission and the amount of energy that I saw required to be manifested throughout the United States in order to really do this. This was an amazing event. You had you know, millions of tons of cadmium and all sorts of other very dangerous and poisonous things that went into a, a water system. And within 24 hours of the water turtle getting in the water, um, and about, uh, it was probably, must have been three days, you know, since we had done the etheric, um, the water's cleared. Now, they also had a, a, a few days later, Linda went down and looked, and she could see that at the bottom there was some traces of, of the orange color. And so she sort of did a booster and um, 
she put in her own thoughts and she uses also uh, aromatherapy uh, magic. And, you know, now that's gone too. So until somebody can tell me, you know, some other way that this occurred, I'm going to say it was the water turtle and maybe the etheric work we did. But certainly the water turtle worked because of the etheric work we did. Because we know the water turtle works with human thought. And that's the way manifestation comes. Manifestation comes from the top down, not from the bottom up. Precisely. So, anyway, I read this thing from Max, and I go, okay, I don't know. You know, I, 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 th- I just used it as a um, get-your-ass-in-gear thing. So I talked to um, Barbara Three Crow. I talked to Colleen. I talked to Dolly. And I tried to talk to you, but we couldn't seem to connect. And... I set up a, a, a new um, Facebook group. The reason we did it with Facebook, because what I've learned from uh, doing the Shanghai is that we've got a blog up that is, uh, it's the only, you go to it and you're going to see customer, it's one blog, that's all that's in it. So you've got customer testimonials and you can comment and that way we develop a database of at least people's perceived experiences. Well, I it's it's a, it's a bear trying to get people to, to tell, to write it there, but they'll talk about it all day on Facebook. So I decided the best way to promote conversation was a Facebook group. So I set up a group called Gaia's Groupies. And for you guys that, you know, they're here all the time, you know that I believe that you cannot have manifestation without consciousness and the creator consciousness of this sphere is called Gaia. Now, she's been called Terra, she's been called uh, Mother Earth, she's been, she's got, for every, there's probably thousands of names of different tribes and peoples that have called her different things. But I was led to the word Gaia because Gaia, for whatever reason, it well, it, it's a power word. Now, why would I say that? Well, every, every the universe is of all energy, and certain, and words are tones, they're frequencies of themselves. The Russians have proved that the human voice is, without a doubt, the most powerful, uh, has the most powerful effect on DNA. You can change your DNA with your voice. If you're saying terrible things, well, your DNA is going to react that way. If you're going to say love and joy and, and gee, aren't you a nice person, well, then it's going to react that way. So I, the, the, the word Gaia, um, I, I believe, is a power word. I was told that. It's a power word. Use it. Um, it's a word that they have tried to um, keep quiet because, you know, the people that are, none of this is new to the, to, the, to the people that are the one percenters. They know this. That's how they got to where they got. That's why they have the control they have. Remember, cosmic reality, rule one, reality is what we think it is. Rule two, majority wins. Rule three, those in power will keep everybody else from knowing rules one and two. Now, there's a whole slew of other ones, and there's more. I mean, when we we finally get down to writing the third book, it's going to be a lot more rules because we've learned them as we've gone through this exercise, Walt and I have. So what I want to do in this group, this Facebook group, is to look at specific problems. Well, I don't want to call them problems. Look at specific solutions. You know, we don't need to know exactly what and where. We just need to know... Okay, you got a problem, that's the problem, this is a solution. And work on projecting 
manifesting that solution. If it was any place else in the world, it's conceivable that we could make some changes, like the 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 CERN, uh, the Atlanta Atlanta the the uh, Atlantis uh, vortex, the um, uh, the Merkabah that was over that that those are all open fields. I mean, nobody's going to ask us to do that except Gaia herself. When she hijacks you on a trip, you're darn right. Hey, you got an open invitation to do something for me. Yep. Every single one of those particular events and others. I mean, we got into the into the black goo. All right. Now, were we being specifically asked? Sort of, because all of a sudden it became a topic, and everybody's talking about it, and everybody's wondering about it. So, well, if, if you if you remember when when we had those two separate journeys, one to the astral plane, one to the etheric plane. Uh, to get all those entities that were there, um, we got the invitation through, I mean, at least me, I don't know how it comes to you, but I got the invitation through dream work because I would get some crazy oh, right. sounding dream and I would call you and you would remote view it and then you said, yeah, this, this is our marching orders. This is what we got to do next. So. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's, that's right. I'd forgotten about all that. It's a good thing we have a radio show that's all recorded once a week. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, it's, well, anyway. So, um, with the Navajo situation, the Navajos have, uh, it's, it, the national borders would not even bother me. But when you're talking about the natives that were here before any of the others, the national border, the national, the sovereign rights of these people, really makes it impossible for us to try to make a change without them being involved. Even if we decided we didn't need permission or we had permission, it's not going to work because those people have got to get to the belief system that they're worthy of fresh water. They've got a lot of homework to do in my estimation. You know, they have got to realize their own power, their own strength. They can do this themselves. And if we can do anything at all, it's it's to make them become power, empower them, because once they're empowered, then they're going to find the easiest way, the quickest way that that they can get this taken care of. So the first solution is not to go in and purify the water. The first solution is to send as much enlightenment as we can to the Navajos in the form of love and and in the form of just seeing them, envisioning them. In a, so that in, a, in a place where they've got absolutely pristine water. Because that sets up an energy field around them that is closely always linked, all maybe is, the superconsciousness. And we know that I wrote the book. It doesn't matter if anybody read it. It's the fact that I wrote it. When you tell your story, your honest story that, that you don't tell anybody, you're imprinting that because of your voice into the superconsciousness. And so the next person that gets even close to that energy field of thought that you just put in there and starts resonating with it, boom, they get it right away. They don't have to fight, you know, the 3D and, and learn it the hard way. It's there. Well, so one of the... Um one of the connections that I'm seeing as, as you're speaking is I remember back when Dr. Costa was giving the 15-step workshop and he would do the dream interpretations. He would tell people that every time 
you see water and lots of it in whatever dream sequence you're experiencing, it always represents the same thing. It's spirit and spiritual energy. Now, if, if I make a connection between that and we're seeing, you know, Navajo reservation, uh, heavily contaminated water, the connection that I see is that it's the Navajo spirit itself that is in desperate need of healing because we already know what this, the white man's government, the private corporate government has done to these people, which is to break their spirit. You know, keeping them enclosed. They don't get, they don't have the same rights or the same access to things as white men do from everything, from jobs to housing to whatever. So, uh, you cannot blame them if after, you know, more than a century of oppression, uh, not some of them, if not all, you know, that's what they're suffering, a broken spirit. You know, what can we do? You, you've taken these people and you pushed them into a patch of land, making them feel powerless and impotent. So if you heal the Navajo spirit, then you will heal the water. I think that's what the water, the message that the water is trying to convey. Well, it goes, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Um, I'm not going to tell you why I did a remote view, but I did. Um, and what happened, what I saw was that, um, unfortunately, this isn't just the mining companies allowing the dirty water to seep into the aquifer that ends up in the Navajo water. They built pipes, underground pipes, and they're taking this stuff and they're pumping it miles and miles away from the mines into the Navajo territory. So it's a it's a definitely an attack on the Navajos themselves mm. by some very dark forces. That makes me suspicious. If you're going after these people, it's because they're powerful people. Oh, correct. Okay. So you, well, do so you want to disable them and disempower them as much as possible? Um, so you begin by attacking the water. Exactly. The same thing that flows in your veins. Exactly. Exactly. Now, because um, we're talking water, I uh, see this is the synchronicity of it. You know, um, this is where this is where the learning comes in, and this is where where we will actually learn more about reality than the out-of-towners know today. Because we can see continually the magic. Um, if they were going to fix it, they'd probably, I don't know, make the pipes disappear or reroute them or something. And that's not the way we would go about it. You know, we would purify the water, but we would also etherically attack these systems. Because to get them and digging them up and all that, we don't have the time for that. So we well, I'm sure there are valves someplace that can be closed. And oh, they're closed now. They're, no, they're they're all closed down. There is no oh. uranium mining going on now. But there's like 800 of them or something that are le- that still have poison in them. Mm. But that's the problem is, is once it got in the water, it's not going anywhere unless you got a water turtle in there. Mm. So once the um, once we can give enough of uh, almost CPR to the to the Navajo spirit by by us by us saying you are worthy 
my God, you were the ones that understood it so well to begin with, and you, you, you know, they have attacked you and attacked you from. I mean, we all know the stories, and if you don't know the story, shame on you. You well, should look it up. I mean, I actually, I, I cried through the whole thing, but I went through a, a horrible journey down the path that they had walked to understand the full implications of what the Native Americans in Canada and in the United States, all over the world, the Native peoples, what, what happened to them. Um, because it's our burden. Because they're not right. And if everybody isn't right, it isn't right. So the out-of-towners would not understand the concept of asking permission, obviously. You know, if you don't do it tomorrow, well, we're going to come in and do it for you. Uh, no. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Now, the water thing, um, again, synchronicity. You sent me a Fulford, Ben Fulford report. And there was a link in there to, um, oh gosh, what was that doctor's name? Uh, see, I'm not on my game today. Um, okay. Mercola. I love Mercola. Every time you go to look for something, Mercola has already got it. And obviously not on that yeah, one. He left something out that would have made his article super complete. What was that? No, I'll send you later. I don't want you to oh, okay. okay. His name is Dr. Polak, and he's got credentials up the Gahuza. Um, he did a TED Talk, and it's only about 25 uh, minutes, I think it was. And in that, it's called the fourth phase of water. Now, you know, I mean, hey, I bet you think you know what water is. I certainly thought I knew what water is. And then I see this thing and I'm going like, I had no clue what water was. I'm going to just stick this into the wolf chat here. So they've got it. There. Okay, that's it. Um, th this is, this was what I saw. Okay, so you, I said I sent you on the task. Hey, what what is this stuff happening here? Can you explain what he said, Doctor Pollock said about? Yeah, he's 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 using different terminology, but he's actually revisiting the discoveries of Victor Schoenberger, the uh, Austrian scientist physicist who made his uh, work and his discovery uh, prior to the World War II. In fact, they used his discoveries to make their, you know, some of their flying vehicles. And Victor, he used different terminology, you know, they're using the term easy water to talk about this fourth state of water, which is living water, which is a term that, you know, some people kind of cringe at living water, but water is just a mix of two gases. How can it be living? So some people kind of cringe at that term living water, which is perfectly accurate. Uh, Schoberger, for example, he used the, the terms oxygenies and, um, let me type it in the chat. He used to say for the living water, he would call it like this, oxygenous. And for the dead water, he would call it carbonous, like that. And what it was is, uh, like the man is saying there, he's talking about, you know, this negative charge. And what he describes, I have experienced it because I have built my own uh, trap to capture uh, living water. Uh, another term for living water is M-state, 
those people out there working with uh, monoatomic minerals like monoatomic gold, uh, they speak of M-state water. I think they're uh, they're using the word M as like monoatomic water. And yes, most definitely it behaves as he describes in the video. When you collect living water, it is viscous. Not as viscous as oil, but you can perceive it. Uh, it clings to everything. Like normally, when you have a very clean piece of glass, water just slides off of it. Living water actually clings to the glass. It actually creates a, a film on glass. Um, no matter how much you drink of it, you're never full. I, I can challenge you to drink a full gallon and your stomach will feel empty. That's how quickly your body absorbs it. Uh, let, me, let me just stop you here because yeah. the three phases, you've got the liquid, the solid, which would in, our, in this case would be um, um, mm-hmm. ice, and then gas. And this middle one is more like a gel, he said. It's, it, it is viscous, but it's uh, when he was talking about the gel, he was referring to the gels in the cells. If you if you look at the article, oh, right. he's referring okay, to, all right, okay. So he was making a differentiation between the, what happens when you get it in the body versus when you when you're using it as a battery. Correct. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to clear that up in my own mind. Well, that's quite correct, and it has. Uh, that's the reason the the way the I don't know if anybody's interested in seeing the pictures. I can put a link there on on what the water trap looks like. The water trap, in order to get easy water out of your normal tap water, what the trap does, it combines three different things. One, it produces a vortex. Two, it has magnets on the outside, and three you're collecting the living water from the top because he, this is here's what happens. That's why the living water is so magical is that when presented with a magnetic field, regardless of the polarity of the magnet, whether you're putting the north or the south and you're presenting that field to the water, the water is like a mirror. It will actually generate the same exact field. So the water moves away from the magnet. It's paramagnetic. And if you, if you make a, if you freeze it to make a, a, an ice cube of that living water and you have a big disc magnet and you put it on the magnet and you'll see the, the ice cube is actually floating like maybe a millimeter away from the magnet. It actually floats <laughs> because it's producing the same field as the magnet, like a mirror, like a magnetic mirror. Uh, number two, it, it flows against the pull of gravity or the push of gravity, whichever way you want to say it. So that's why you collect it from the top of the trap, not the bottom. At the bottom, you have the waste water, and at the top, you have the living water coming out. And third is when you generate a vortex, which is Schoberger's discovery. Let's say you're looking down at a whirlpool you know, the water rotating at high speed. Living water literally moves toward the center against the centrifugal force. It, it is, that's why Schoberger used the term water implosion, because it moves toward the center. And the dead water moves toward the outside of the vortex, as you would expect. You know, centrifugal forces, you know, they push stuff out. So that's why this thing... Is so it's so magical. Also, there are tons of anecdotes 
um, in the um, on the Ormus pages of people that have collected the M state water. Like one gentleman, he would collect them in these uh, gallon glass jugs, and he would he had them in a in a shelf. No, he, he had them in a, under a, a little table. He was collecting the bottles. And his wife is very, uh, like a, you know, psychic type person. And one time she looked and she saw like a little boy squatting where the bottles were. And then when she went to see what was going on, it jumped up and it actually, it went out the window without opening the window. So between the two of them, they were trying to reason, you know, so what is it that they had seen? And essentially they determined that they, what they had seen must have been the elemental intelligence of the water. Because another thing he doesn't say in the article, but another thing about the easy water, <laughs> you have to watch out where you store it, because it will literally eat glass. If it, if it finds the tiniest crack, the tiniest thing, it will actually go into it and start breaking it. It is so powerful. And people have had all kinds of experiences with it. Like uh, uh, in the beginning, just like Shanghai, you know, when you are exposed to Shanghai the very first time, you don't have a you don't have a choice. You're going to experience the energy detox of Shanghai, and you start feeling uh, worse as opposed to feeling better. Well, that's the case with living water. In the beginning, you don't you don't feel better. You have to go through this energy detox that it induces on you. But once that state is is gone, uh, one of the anecdotes that I read was this lady who had uh, uh, molars, that re, uh, not a missing tooth, but a broken tooth, broken enough that it justified, you know, getting it capped or getting a replacement tooth or something, and she didn't need to because the enamel on the tooth started growing and it filled up and she ended up with a normal tooth. Uh, so the Ormus group message boards are chock full of all the experiences of people that actually take the time to use their traps and collect this easy water and consume it. Now, my, my understanding is that the easy water is actually a different molecule than H2O. Well, he, he, claims, he claims that it's uh, H3O2, that there's one extra hydrogen on it. But what Schoberger found is that it actually has more oxygen in it. That's why it's alkaline, because it, that's why he called, he used that term oxygens. Because it uh, it contains far more oxygen than the wastewater, but I I this is that's the first time that I've seen that somebody claims that the molecule is bigger, having one extra hydrogen. Uh, so I, I'm not going to argue that point. I'm, I wasn't aware that they had made this finding that it actually has more. I know that it has the more more ions. That's why in Mercola's uh, article when he talks about the uh, the most uh, important value of this negative charge in the waters of our body, how our bodies need that negative charge in the waters, uh, he could have completed the article with um, a study that was done back in the 70s. I remember seeing it on television at the time in one of the 
science shows is that they took uh, they took two people, put them in separate rooms. The rooms were closed and they had a controlled atmosphere. And the they had each individual had an hour to do different tests, like some language tests, uh, which you know language is handled by the right side of the brain. Scientific, like numerical stuff is handled by the left side of the brain. So they had these two uh, individuals do the two types of tests, plus they did a hand-eye coordination tests using turntables. And But the difference was that in one room where subject A was, they saturated the atmosphere that he was breathing with negative ions. And in the other room, for that subject, they saturated the atmosphere with positive ions. So their finding on that on that first run was that the uh, the fellow sitting in the room full of positive ions, he was performing poorly on all the tests, and he developed a headache, and his eyes were, were burning. He he was having a really tough time, uh, and the other guy was just peachy fine, and he was performing. His results were fantastic, so. They ended the test, the characters stepped outside, they took them outside and have breathing exercises so that they could balance themselves, you know, back to normal charges, and then they switched rooms. So the first character who performed so well in the room with negative ions now was in the room charged with positive ions, and he was doing just as poorly as the other fellow did in the first run. So there's the proof that uh, an atmosphere full of negative ions is very, very good for your health. Your mental concentration is good for everything. So that that's further evidence supporting, you know, Dr. Mercola's article about the value of the negative charge. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk in ions because I read a book. I don't even know. I know ion is part of the title. And this is quite a while ago. But it was about a man who had a job that took him to Geneva. And every time he'd get into Geneva, he would get sick. He'd come back to the States, he'd be fine. So finally he decided it was something in the geography or in the environment that was doing this to him. And he got to understand the concept of the winds. They had, you know, at certain times in Germany and, and through there, because the winds are, are coming down off the mountains, it actually builds up a huge amount of positive ions in front of it. Mm-hmm. So they prohibit um, uh, surgeries or medical procedures that you don't need right now. Anything that's an optive kind, uh, you know, you can opt out of it just during these, you know, few weeks. Don't do anything like that because you're going to die <laughs> because there's too many positive ions. And he went on did a lot of research into this question, and he discovered that one out of four people is sensitive to ions so my one of my friends had a husband who um, had been a cocaine user and he'd go on a binge and she told me about it and she was really upset you know and then you know a month later he goes on another binge and then by the third month I'm going like but he's doing this on the full moon and she's she, she checked back and she said my god I think you're right and I said well I said I read this book on ions <laughs> And maybe he's um, very susceptible to positive ions because that's one of the things that happens during the full moon. Mm. The full moon not only is visibly bigger, it's actually closer 
to Earth, and there is a buildup of positive ions on the planet. Mm. For the very same reason that you would have a change in the water based on the, you know, the magnetic, magnetic fields around it. So, um, we got him a uh, negative ion uh, producer. It's an air cleaning unit that just keeps out putting on negative ions. Mm-hmm. He never went for cocaine again. <laughs> so it's very, it's a very real um, situation with the uh, with the concept of again an energy universe. <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. if you if you start to look for the uh, for the proof of it, it's all around us. Um, one of the things that I found absolutely fascinating was his discussion concerning how um, this concept of water inside the body and how, uh, what was it, uh, infrared. Infrared energy would increase the um, uh, the creation of the easy field, the easy right. water. Mm-hmm. Can, can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, the, the, the water... <laughs> Well, I've, I've given you the answer in other shows. Remember when we speak of organ and organite? I said to you, there's one medium that is the ultimate organ storage medium. You remember? No. Shungite? <laughs> uh, not water, exactly. Water, water, water. Yes. yes. Water stores energy tremendously. And infra- infrared energy. I mean, living living systems put out infrared. I mean that that heat. When, when if somebody touches your skin and you're alive and you have a pulse, obviously you're not at uh, 32 degrees. You know you have a certain amount of temperature, 96 degrees, 90 degrees, whatever is your present state. Our skin detects it as we we label that as heat. Okay, this this person is warm. But if you were to be looked at with an infrared camera, you would see the the light that you give off. That's infrared light. Your eyes, if you, if you were an insect, you would be able to see it. Insects and and snakes can see in the infrared range, so you would be able to see it. It's it's energy. So the water is grabbing it and storing it, and and in doing that, it's changing the molecule. Uh, you get a, a, a production of Easy water. Just like uh, when I've spoken about organ in the past, that dead organ is stagnant. And when a, an environment is full of dead organ, people, you know, they get headaches, their eyes burn, their joints hurt, they can't concentrate. CRTs were notorious for this. Uh, this is the same thing with dead water. It's, haven't you ever had... Um, how many times have I visited households where the people in the house never drink water because they say, oh, if I drink a tap water, it feels like a rock in my stomach. And I, yes, you are quite correct. It is a rock in your stomach because that's a dead chunk of water. It's unfortunate that they choose to, you know, drink soda or something else <laughs> because they can't stand the water. Uh, all they would have to do is just buy an, an ionizer. So that I have, I have a countertop ionizer, so it puts uh, the negative charge in the water and it raises the pH. The maximum output of the unit is pH 10, so that's fully charged water, and your body is able to use it more effectively. 
Now, did you see the um, experiment where they took like a, a very small tube, like like a straw, but a, a, but more like you know a very yeah, it's, it's what I was discussing in the it's uh, in in uh, hydraulics they call it the, the capillary effect, but it's they're missing the point. They in in engineering, uh, especially in hydraulics, they credit that effect by the diameter of the conduit. Well, you gotta, so- wait, wait, you got to explain the effect because what was happening is that they took okay. this little tube and they put it in water, and then they looked at it with a with a um, uh, mi- microscope, and mm-hmm. they could see the water traveling like a current through the through the through this tube that was in the water correct it, it what happens is that by putting a very a, a very tiny a very tiny conduit i mean very tiny diameter you are make, taking advantage of that uh phenomena of the living water what i discussed in the in the beginning that even though you you can have it a piece of glass Perfectly clean, nothing on it. Normal water just slides off because it has nothing to cling to. But living water literally clings to glass, no matter how clean it is. It is part of the nature of living water. That's why it looks like what its behavior looks like more like oil than, than the water that we know. So that clinginess, that's the effect that you're exploiting when you're using a very tiny conduit. The water just grabs onto the material of the conduit and it just flows. And because the water absorbs energy, you know, if they shine UV light or infrared light to the conduit, it flows even faster because the, the water is grabbing onto more energy. Now, he made some interesting um, statements in, I think it was, well, I don't know, one of the two tapes. I put up the Mercola um, page, too. But it, he was saying that, you know, when you go into a sauna that has got infrared heat, mm-hmm. you, you, you walk out healthier. Now, what is, what is happening to that body when the, when the heat is, 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 explain that better than he did, please. Well, what, what it is, it's, um, this is, uh, for people out there that, um, try, you know, played with alternative healing methods. Uh, the infrared light, because the water is absorbing that energy, it is charging the water. So the water is changing its structure from dead, stagnant water into living water. And infrared light is very significant because, uh, for example, let's say you have a heating pad. Well, those electric heating pads that they use that you can put on your body or on your feet or something. The heating pad heats through conduction, meaning that, okay, you're, you're putting your skin against the heating pad or, you know, your clothed body, and through the conduction, you know, that heat is mig- very slowly migrating into your body. So what happens is it's very slow because the heat has to travel through the layers of tissue to get inside the body. Infrared light has an enormous advantage is that the heat is being delivered to you through the radiation of the light itself. So when you, that's why I use infrared to cure the, the resin pieces. Because when I shine that light, I'm not heating the surface of the resin. I'm heating the total mass of the resin. The top, the bottom, the middle, everything is being heated at the same time. 
because it's a radiation of heat, not just heat that's being emitted like with a resistance or fire or steam. So it, so when you hit a human body, that's why the, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this in, uh, nursing homes and hospices when somebody has been bedridden for quite some time, they develop bed sores. Have you ever seen that? Oh I yeah, so. I had to work on them. I worked in a nursing home. I know how awful they are. Okay. The, the number one thing that will help you heal those things is infrared light. If you shine infrared light on a bed sore, that tissue will begin to regenerate and heal faster than if you left it untreated or if you just use some other uh, basic method or traditional method to treat it. And what, what, what's actually happening? How's the light? Because I know, I know, I know that he was saying that if you've got tissue damage, mm-hmm. you've got protein, but you've also got water. <clears throat> and right. if you if you if you get if you're trying to only heal the protein, then you're missing fifty percent of the problem, which is you're the missing water. The, yeah, right. So by shining the infrared light, now the water is being charged by the light. The light, the the water is absorbing that energy, and it's using it. It's almost like it's not almost like it's another consequence. You know how the chlorophyll, the chloroplasts in the cells of living plants. They take sunlight or another source of light and they turn, you know, uh, simple ma- materials into proteins, into complex materials. And they, they will change, uh, they will breathe and CO2 gets turned into, they release oxygen because the, the, the plant is using that energy to do this transformation. It's something like that. You're shining the, the, uh, infrared on the living tissue. And the water is changing, and the water is changing its structure. It's beginning to store that energy. It's not ignoring it, and it's not just getting hot. I mean, we're so used to thinking in terms that everything is dead, that, okay, if I have this pot of water, if I put it over the fire, it's going to heat up, and I'm going to be able to make myself a cup of tea. I mean, that's how far our conception or imagination goes. That's not the case. You know, you're, you're shining this infrared light, on the tissue, the tissue is 90% water, you're charging the water. Now this water is taking this energy and using it, it's changing its structure, and all that energy now is being delivered to the living system. So you have living water in a living body, so that regeneration is inevitable. It has to, it will repair itself, and it will begin the healing process. Now he also suggested that um, grounding worked. Can you explain why the grounding would work to? Um... I have that. I have those earthing sheets on on our beds. We have those. Uh, they're um, cotton sheets that have uh, silver filaments in them, and you connect them to the ground line in the house. So all night when you're sleeping, you you're connected to the earth, and the earth is constantly delivering that negative charge. And and what does that do to the water in your cells? It it's charging the water in your body. It's charging the body with uh, with that negative charge that Mercola speaks of in his article, and in fact, it has several effects in the body. Um, because just like the Shanghai, you have a a stabilization period where you have to get used to sleeping grounded until you you know your body gets used to being grounded all the time. Uh, 
for example, one of the things they tell you in the instructions if um, you shouldn't use the grounding sheet if for some medical reason you have to take blood thinners because when you sleep grounded, blood becomes thinner. Your blood becomes more efficient. Hey, we're back. Hey, that wasn't too bad. Yeah, Are we 40 back? Seconds. 40 we're back. Seconds. We're back. Was it we 40 seconds? Yeah. Okay. Um, what were you saying? Did you have anything else to add to that, or did you forget what you're saying? He never forgets. Well, he no, I was tell- no, I was talking about uh, the uh, the grounding. The, when you sleep grounded, I remember I, I had uh, I was I'm used to when I do the when I use the air bike in the morning, you'll have some muscular stiffness from having exercised the day before. When you sleep on the grounding, you wake up and you're so nice and light and flexible. So. I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> so I told, I told, see, I told the girls early in, ch- earlier in chat, well, not the girls, it was Colleen and the old one. And I told them that, you know, that not sleeping is a very bad thing. Now I know this because I did it for 25 years, hardly sleeping at all. But every single morning I was seeing the sun come up. And I swear that's why I didn't ever get sick was that Every morning I was being bathed in this amazing energy that just fired up all my cells like you might get if you fall asleep. Were you able to watch the sun uh, within the very first hour? Oh, within the first minutes. I was there for 25 years, well over 5,000. Yeah, that's the one, that's the, that's the light you want to be exposed to, the very first hour and the last hour before it goes down. That's because what happens is, at that point, the sunlight, remember that the atmosphere is almost like a prism. It begins to break up the light. Yeah. Like when you flow uh, a, a light of a beam of light through a prism and it breaks up and you get all the nice little colors. Uh, when you're looking at the sun that's beginning to set or just coming up, that sunlight is traveling through a much thick, thicker layer of atmosphere. So all the, you know, harmful stuff has been filtered out. So that's the one, that's the one you want to get. Unfortunately, in New York, I couldn't do that because there is no horizon. Everything is buildings everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was on the beach. I'd see it come up over the ocean. There you are. Yeah. But, you know, and I used to tell people, you know, they're sleeping eight hours, you're a dead person. And I felt so bad afterwards because I realized, no, I, I, I was getting a magical bath every single morning. And uh, I worked six days a week, so it was like, you know. And the only time I, I really slept, except for like two hours. If I slept four hours at any given time, it was a long time, except for Mondays. Mondays I was off, and I would sleep um, I would sleep ten hours. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's... Uh, so anyway, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying to the, to the Colleen and to the old one is that... Um, yeah, sleep is really important, but it's more important to get the right kind of energy around you. And and and, and I don't know all the answers. Probably Walt does, but we don't really have that much time. <laughs> um, so maybe we should just pay more attention to water, which we do because we have shungite and and we're studying it. But again, it's the water situation in the Navajos, and I want you to, if you can, go over to Gaia's Groupies on uh, Facebook or his group and. Uh, just go there and look at what, what I'm saying about, you know, how we want to go about this. 
And if you feel comfortable, then begin to all day long. Just think of it. You know, anytime, just you, you got to re, re, kind of like retrain your brain to bring up these these positive thoughts. You know, just think of the Navajo, and there's a map there. You know, you know basically the area. You'll be drawn to it, and just you know, make this very pure kind of intention that the Navajo not just have their water purified, but the Navajo have an understanding of their right to have it. Because I think that, that there's something, like you said, Walt, spiritually, they're busted people. And mm-hmm. we've got to build them back up. And um, hopefully they'll get to a point where they where they ask us for a water turtle. We throw it in. Everything cleans up within a very short period of time. And um, now we've got proof that, A, the water turtle works, and, B, the, the Navajo are now part of the, the group that is is going to take care of what we need to take care of in order to survive, and that's to, you know, nurture nature. So we work with Gaia. You can work with any of your guides, any of your, you know, I mean, yes, I think I'm pagan because I certainly do not believe in one God. (laughs) (laughs) I believe in one source God. Um, Although the out-of-towners say there's more than one source God. That I don't know about. Um, okay, we're going to take. Well, a it break. depends how many. Just look at the, pick up your local reality pamphlet and see how many gods your local reality needs. <laughs> <laughs> and I think pagans have been maligned anyway. Oh, absolutely! It was a well. We'll get into it when we get back. We're going to talk about you know. The Stuff. book of man, the book of man, and and the, I just want to get into that subject because uh, well, we'll talk about it when we come back from the. I first heard about this place This little lump of clay On a message board in space About a billion stars away The ad-red floating garden orb Circling the sun Help us build a heaven here We need one more volunteer So I said that I would come I was asked when I applied To name some service I could bring Service should be choice. So I said that I would sing. Well, I guess I got the job, and I don't mean to complain, but it's not like they described in that little classified. That I read before I came And I somehow missed a turn Was this even the right place? Had I fallen for a scam? Or was it more a fall from grace? I 
in a quiet mountain lake Is enough to make me cry But I did not come prepared For the density or strife For the cruel and inhumane Injustices and pain can pass here for life So from very early on I grew restless here Because Of this longing to go home Though I could not say where home was Truthfully, my scream My beloved self appeared Come to wake me from this dream And with a diamond voice declared Home is not some distant star Your days are marching toward with the truth of who you are. An awareness so immense, it holds all of this inside. As she spoke, my mind fell still, but my tears would not subside. Trusted in this peace To even try to find the words Can be a sacrilegious thing So I'd just as soon be silent Alrighty, we are back. Okie dokie, then. Your work, you're listening to Wolf Spirit Radio, Cosmic Reality Show. My name is Nancy Hopkins, and Walt Silva's with me. And we just had, I thought, an interesting discussion about water. I, I just was floored by the information. <laughs> I thought I knew what water was. Nope. Okay, um, I had two people ask me to look at a series that is essentially very interesting in that it's a book, but it's a, a video book that's 10 chapters. Most of them were about a little over 15 minutes to 25 or 24 was about the longest one. But there was 10 of them, and it's called The Story of Man. Have you seen it, Walt? No, nope, I have not. Well, I almost 
turned you on to it, and I thought, no, I better watch this whole thing before I tell him to start on this journey. The person who wrote it, put it together, researched it, is a guy by the name of Brian O. That's all I know is his name. And I really am glad that I listened. I watched the um, sort of like, I, could, I don't know what he, what he called it, um, you know, but it was like a final notes on how he had come about this because it was it's presented as fact, but of course it's, it's not because he goes back millions of years and talks about star systems that unless somebody sat there with a and, and, and had him write down the actual history of the universe, I don't think this was near true. But there was some weirdness to the energy of it in that it kind of felt true. Um, a lot of times you'll see something and you go, I, that doesn't feel right to me, right? Well, this kind of felt right to me, even though I understood that he was dealing with um, information that was either given to him some, by some other source or he was doing a, a hell of a job taking what is known on Earth and, you know, figuring out, well, how could this have come about? You know, I've got the, I got the chicken, where's the egg? Let's find out what the, what the egg's all about. So, and he says in this um, that he he did, you know, thousands and thousands of documents, books, and everything he could find. Um, he does mention uh, Alex Collier as being very important to his research. But what he does is he goes back way, 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 way back in time and begins to introduce these... Um, uh, star civilizations. One of them being, we called them the Seacar, even though it's what we know as the Draconians. Um, I, he, anyway, you got the Draconians in, in Draco, um, and that's the, the central area of their, um, empire. And then you have, um, what he was calling the Dolls. And those are what we would think of as Greys. And he did go into an explanation that there were the dowels and the does that um, are the short ones and, you know, that there's different versions of them. Then he goes and I think that the, because I wasn't taking notes and I probably should have, but I think that this initial civilization was called the Toman or Taman. Um, it was something to that, but it, it's, it's the beginning of the human species. Um so he, I mean, and it's intricate. It's like they had a base here and they were this way and then the Dracos came in and they did this and it goes on and on and on about all these wars and all these tribes. And, and to be honest with you, it, it was kind of boring. It was interesting <laughs> in that it kept my attention because of the visuals and because I had this, 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 uh, kind of a nervous, uh, response to it that, oh, I, damn, I think this is true, because it goes back, and it's always the same thing. It's always the good and evil thing, or maybe not even good. I mean, it's it's always somebody fighting somebody, and somebody wants this, and it's like, can we get over this now? This is getting very, very old, and that's what, what really was getting to me was, my God, this has been on for since the universe was created. What the hell is this all about? So he takes it, you know, down through time, and then he gets into um, more specifically uh, what happened here in Seoul, the the solar system, uh, our solar system, 
And he talks about Mars, and he talks about what he's calling Terra, uh, Earth. And he talks about the uh, the Dracos were here, and they started mucking around with the dinosaurs genetically because they were wanting to get a dinosaur that, that was big and powerful but controllable. And so that was what the Dracos were really doing here on Earth. Then the humans come in and take it over. But they don't take it over. They just leave the Dracos stranded there. They don't take it. They don't do any colonization on on Earth. But they do go to Mars and they put up a, uh, you know, and built some some tunnels and everything. Well, actually, the Dracos went had been on Mars, and then when the humans came in, they took over the the caves. But they also brought in these asteroids. And this was another thing is one of their weapon systems was something that would take asteroids and fire it towards a planet. It was really cool. They supposedly hit Earth four times and killed off the dinosaurs and then entrapped the Dracos in, in the uh, you know underground. So it, it's really intricate. It's... Uh, Something is, it, it, you know, it, it's an interesting excursion into what could be, what could be true history. I, I just don't know. But the um, when he got into the, uh, you know, closer to our time frame and was able to show how the Dracos, you know, learned that, gee, you know, why, why do we worry about killing off things and, and, you know, we can make them work for us. And how it makes sense that there's a group of people here that are ETs called Dracos that are actually in control of everything, or at least think they are. Um, so when, you, when, we, when we've got out-of-towners that come in, um, and, and again, it was just one of the, I suspect that, the, that this book became being talked about in our group because of, of the out-of-towners. We don't know who these people are. Um, I'm getting confirmation that they're, is, they're real. But I'm not sure I know what real is anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like there's so many layers and layers and layers of uh, reality. So I go over to Starfire Tour's um, Facebook page. Because that's what, that's what, I, probably if I hadn't have seen that original post that made me aware of a um, fairly substantial coronal ejection, that I would have believed this guy when he said that, oh yeah, our spaceship came in and took Earth inside of it and is protecting it from this coronal ejection. Except that I had just seen it on Starfire Tours site that was in the news feed. I didn't go to her. It was in the news feed. And I've learned that my guides will put things up in the news feed they want me to pay attention to. So Starfire is kind of like a part of this, this whole story here. So um, i got to pull up the, the – I've got – I actually have her um, – what she, what she wrote. Now, when he went on, on the 13th of February was when he first showed up in my radar on Dolly's show. This is Max. We're talking Max again. So he shows up on Saturday the 13th. And 
she had posted concerning the 13th. All right. Now, because I'm going back into time here, um, you know how Facebook is. Uh, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, show you, I'm going to read the thing that I first saw because that was when I was like, okay. She said, um, and yes, Walt, Walt finds her really kind of annoying because she talks a lot about how good she is. But my dad was a sales, well, I all, you know, you go to school and they'd say, what, what's your father do? I don't know why, but what's your father do? And so every time I'd ask me, he said, I'm a salesman. And when I was in seventh grade, I, I said salesman, but it bothered me. When I went home, I said, you keep telling me you're a salesman, but I, I see this building and you do all this stuff and, and you build these, these feed mills and everything. What kind of a salesman is that? And he said, honey, you go through life and there's only one person that's ever going to sell you, and that's yourself. He said, I'm a salesman and I'm damn good at it. <laughs> if she doesn't try to sell herself, Nobody's going to pay any attention to her. So, yes, I, I agree with you that see, she sometimes goes overboard, but I totally honor the fact that she is trying to sell herself and what she knows. And I was... But if know, what you're selling is real and you absolutely love and believe what you're selling, that energy carries across and you will sell it. You don't need to put yourself on a pedestal shining, you know... Well, that's assuming that... Now, that's assuming you've got something to sell. What she's got is information to sell, okay, that is really not going to make much of a difference whether you know it or not. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, but anyway. Um, I think okay. that, that, that February 13th enigma is because it, it just so happened that on, on every February the 13th, the Earth must be crossing through one of the streamers, and that's why it's just hitting that that spot on every turn around the sun. Well, let, the, let, 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 let's yeah. let's just let's just explain what she's saying. Um, yeah. Okay, she she had made a prediction, and I'm going to get to that in a second. She had made a prediction, but then she went back. I think it was on the 16th, and said, "You know, this is what yeah, 16th. This is what happened. Let's look at what I said, and let's see what happened." Okay. Now, she said that the time shift activity, which is so unusual about February 13th, is associated with a confluence of history, events, and people. Time shift markers, which I'll relist below, is generally related to personal time shift experiences, even when these experiences are beyond your own life. But on today, history itself is edited in a way that changes how the timeline presents the entire makeup of our world. This includes politics, scientific discoveries, countries, people, and power. This is the day that people and their work and ideas who are prominent in their fields do a disappearing act. Just keep this in mind. People cannot control timeline edits, nor can they trigger time shift activity. Something else is going on. This is a very important and complex part of the time shift research. Generally, the February 13th time shift enigma cannot be entirely traced through any ordinary list of timeline events, although such lists are immensely important and helpful. 
More specifically, my knowledge is masked by following the trend of time shift, timelines, edited, and how it has impacted and changes coexisting timelines. But every now and then, a February enigma happens that it's so in your face that it's important and its impact on the world cannot be denied. No one has to know about time shifts in order to see and grasp the connection between the date and the world-changing event. Okay? Now, the reason this is jumping out at me, of course, is why. Because on February 13th, we hear Max announce himself to our group. He's done it other places. It's not You're not just telling us now that his people are here and that they are protecting us. Now, if this isn't one massive <laughs> blow-your-mind thing that we've been going through since then, I don't know what is. But Starfire Tor pointed to the very day that he did this as being a time where there's he calls she calls it the February thirteenth enigma and Walt doesn't well I can't I mean, I have to say I'm not exactly sure what she means exactly like that. Now in her article she was um, pointing to um, Supreme Court Justice Scalia's death in his sleep in the ranch in Texas. Okay, well you know that if you've listened to anybody that everybody's going like. You buried him and you cremated him before you get, got him, gave him an autopsy? You know, I mean, this is one of the most powerful men in the world. And in fact, um, extremely powerful in the Supreme Court of the United States because his decision making, his, his, uh, way of looking at law really kept that entire court, let's say, um, on track. Because he was very much in the middle, but his, of course, some of the better decisions were always to the left. He was, he was extremely important man in the way that the court operates. Uh, his death is going to lead to a, a whole reshaping of American justice. Uh, and nobody's exactly sure what it will finally get out. But I mean, this is a major thing. So she was talking about that. But, <laughs> What I'm pointing out is that um, the, she said this was going to happen, and uh, lo and behold, it happened in a very strange way. She also earlier in the uh, in the earlier report said that on February 11th, Earth-facing sunspot 2497 fired off a long duration near M flare that developed into a partial halo coronal mass ejection, a CME. And a portion of this is expected to reach Earth between February 14th and 15th. On February 12th, the same sunspot fired off an M1 solar flare that produced an R1 radio blackout in Earth. However, the energy fell back to the sun and did not produce a CME. And, you know, I can imagine a really powerful CME coming off, only instead of frying Earth, there's this uh, force field around it, and it basically hits the force field and kind of falls back into the sun. I can see that. So, again, she says something that makes it um, collab- collaborate what what was happening when when 
Max was telling us this. And uh, I just wanted to point that out. You got any comments there, Walt? Uh, well, I read what you sent to the PDF. And I, I understand that she's focused on the solar activity as a, as a pointer, as an indicator of, you know, when there's this much solar activity, she, uh, she's making a correlation, okay? So you have this type of solar activity, you have this type of, you know, CME, whatever, uh, like, for example, the position of a sunspot, and she's correlating that when you have this element, you experience this change on Earth, specifically timeline change, okay? But one thing she's leaving out is the fact that the Earth for some time, for some years now, has entered the photon belt, this energy that's being, that's, it's like a giant, imagine a, a giant uh, flashlight beam in the middle of a dark room. And we know that the belt, as the solar system is traveling, the belt is like 5,000 years wide. I mean, even the Mayas had calculated that's how long that's how long that's how how wide this beam is but this beam is not like a solid beam where okay you turn on a flashlight and you have you can see it's one big beam it's actually made up of countless streamers of energy like uh like like this if you're looking at a shower head you see all these little streams of water that come together to form this you know, the volume of water that the shower head delivers. So it could just be because these, these are astronomical events and they last quite a long time. I wouldn't be surprised that every time, as you've seen the model, uh, I've seen the animation several times, several people have posted it on Facebook that uh, normally when people think of the solar system, they see this model of a flat disk, the sun in the center, all the planets rotating around it. Well, that's a good representation, but it's not the actually what it looks like, because the sun is rotating around its companion star, which at this, and both of them are rotating around the center of the galaxy. So as the sun is traveling, it is it, it's not traveling like with the edge of the disk forward. It is actually the whole face of the disk is traveling through space. So as it's traveling, the planets that are rotating around the sun are following like a trajectory, like a spring, like a coiled spring. So I wouldn't be surprised as it's traveling through this, the body of the photon belt that around the time of February, it's always the Earth is hitting one of the streamers, which could be two, three days wide, and then it comes out. So that would be an area of very heightened energy where you could say all bets are off. I mean, there's so much energy and this that all the potentials for possible realities begin to diverge. And one little teeny tiny change will cause this uh, thing to happen or that thing to happen because it's there's so much concentrated energy. Then it comes out, everything kind of stabilizes a bit. So that's that's what I perceive that, that she's leaving out. She should enter into her equations the fact that the solar system is traversing through the photon belt and it's going to encounter all, all these different energies. Well, that's right now. I mean, we're not always... Every place, every single movement of 
everything changes everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all energy in relationship to itself. Correct, uh, but there are, I mean, there are changes that are, have little significance, and then you could have other changes that are hugely significant. So I, if you're in a, in a space of tremendous amounts of energy, then one little tiny change will, will have a, a tremendous change and not over an extended period of time, but in a very short period of time. Because that the, that the, the butterfly effect, you know, the chaos theory that a butterfly beating its wings somewhere in the world is causing another storm over here. I mean, it, uh, we, we know that, that, you know, this change will create this other change, but it needs a certain amount of time to snowball into something big and huge and significant. But you're in the, you're traversing the photon belt. And if you're hitting a spot of tremendous energy, one little tiny change will have an immediate big consequence as opposed to waiting over time to see, okay, what was the consequence of this little tiny change? And it's, and it's like, she's detecting when it's hitting. She's finding that every February, you know, between 11, 12, 13, 14, it's, it, that's the sweet spot where these, she's perceiving these changes. She just is finding it hard to, you know, what else is happening out there. And I think she left out the fact that we're traveling through the photon belt. So you could be hitting one of the streamers at that particular moment in time. Well, we know from Simon Parks that it was um, very critical to the CERN to start up in a very particularly, I mean, a few hours time frame in mm-hmm. order to link with whatever else energies they had to link with. Well, in his case, it was uh, a daily specific. He claims he claims that between 2 and 4 a.m., you know, the peak at 3 a.m., is when the veil is at its thinnest. So that's why the guys needed to do this thing at 3 a.m. Oh, no, it was also very date-dependent. Oh, okay. No, it was very date-dependent. Um, and once they missed that opportunity, it was basically dead in the water, no matter what happened, if they started it up, but they were not going to be able to do what they were going to do. So what we're seeing is that we've got, you know, just this incredibly complex kind of set of circumstances where where you are in the universe you can be uh in probably somebody else's dimension somebody else's universe they've had so many episodes if you look at it there was some guy that's this tracked this stuff about stories where somebody found a animal that doesn't belong here you know, or um, there's the one, one. There's a great story about this woman. She actually wrote on Facebook, and she said, "I don't know where else to go." She said, "But um, I woke up one day, and the boyfriend I had broken up with was still my boyfriend. The job that I had gone to every day for ten years, I was in a different desk. I had a different position. I mean, she goes through all these details in her life that she claimed were had been." When she woke up, they were all different. And she said, I really think that I'm, I somehow or another am in a different universe. And has anybody else had this kind of a, a situation? So, you know, I mean, it's quite possible that when we had the introduction to, um, to Max, that his people didn't know where the hell they were. 
<laughs> you remember when 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 you made the device and you made you sent the device. I said there's something else that needs it, and then I got it, and then I put it together, and I said what is it? And they said it's a beacon. Mm-hmm. And I said why would the and it was for it was specifically for the Sphere Alliance. And I said why would you need a beacon? You know, and they said because we need to know which reality you're in. Because we we were we with the cube and the dialer and everything, we started assembling our own. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, it's it's like okay, he he. I agree with almost everything Max says about the time we got to do this, and we'll throw the bad guys out and you know assuming that they're they're very compassionate people um but the fact of the matter is is that in this time and in this place something that has never been attempted before is not only being attempted but it's succeeding a group of humans with a bloodline of every single one or uh, well at least 12 12 of the the star civilizations are waking up to their own potential for complete control over a given reality simply because they believe it. That's pretty powerful shit. Yeah. Now, of course, we could be completely crazy, but we know we're not. Why? Because the longer we take to go down this path, the more absolute confirmation we're getting from quantum physics. Yeah. What we're saying is is mirroring com- cause, uh, quantum physics, and it's not like we we were there before quantum physicists were. No, it's just that all of a sudden the information that they know gets out because they're feeding the super consciousness that's saying to me and Walt, you know, this is possible. This is possible. Now Walt and I may did not have known that it was because of this particular experiment that they did with quantum physics. But the overall conclusion is there. So, you know, we say, well, gee, you know, I'm not, I, I think we can do this. So we start to do it. And we're given tools, unbelievable tools to do it with. And, it, I mean, we've done, I don't know how many, hundreds, uh, at least, you know, I don't know, probably a hundred shows together. And we, we record all of this stuff. Therefore, again, feeding the super consciousness so that more and more and more people believe it. And so we're seeing more and more solutions come out. Not because they because they were there, but they're just becoming known. People our minds are getting open to to new concepts. And one of those new concepts is is that I think that the out of towners ended up in a reality that they didn't even know was here because it had not been here. And that was why there was a rift in the energy level at their future and their present but our future that said something's happening over there in the eighth planet so i i you know my attitude is that um i'm just going to continue building our reality um i'm hoping that we get well i know we will we'll get individuals who understand what we're saying about an energy universe and that the most powerful um well look at it from another angle all we're doing is we're stealing their recipe because most of humanity, everybody in the audience, everybody in the group agrees, at least on this one point, most of humanity for the moment is still asleep to the fact that this 
ugly reality that we have to live in, like debt, slavery, and all of that, is because the cabal enlisted our consciousness, molded our belief systems to create and sustain the reality that they want, not the one that we want. We, we, are, we are the engine, we are the fuel. All they did was, you know, the mind control, the conditioning. So we all agree on the, this particular reality. So we create it for them. It's like when you hire a, a contractor team to come in and build you a house. You know, this is the house I want. You get the team and they come in and they get the materials and they build the house. So what we're doing is we're stealing their recipe. Okay, fine. It works for you, then it will work for me. I'm going to build the reality that I want, not the one that you want. And it's a learning curve because the first thing we need to do is what? Decondition ourselves, break and release and transmute all the belief systems that they put on us that that is necessary, that this is necessary, that this should be this way. No, no, no. We we start by cleaning out our all that bad software that they put on us. We start by cleaning it out. And once you have enough of it off, then you can start relaxing and accepting. Oh, yeah, I can. These guys have made this reality for the rest of us. Well, that means I can make my own. And if you, like you said, you stick at it, and you see the confirmation that yeah, yes, you can make your own. Yes, you just don't don't let go of the thought and the idea and the concept that you can make your own. It doesn't, and it, all it takes is you, because. The, the reality doesn't get made from the outside in; it gets made from the inside out. So all it takes, all well, it, it takes, does, it does get made from the outside if you allow them to. Correct. You know, if you if you buy into somebody else's um, theories of of what what's right and wrong, and what's real and not. And no, I don't need some, you know, fifty-five kilometer spaceship to fix the water in the Navajo Nation. All I have to do is work with the people who have been led together to be this group to work on freeing the Navajo from the chains of oppression so that they get to a point of understanding how powerful they are and then become empowered. Correct. And on their own, they can clean it. But we're hoping that they come to us so that we can prove the water turtle works. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've had such a... We've had so many good experiences with it, but you know, to to really get out there and and I, I and should ask Julie what are you know if they're if the different nations are friendly to each other or if they just keep an aloof attitude because she's Chippewa, but I don't know if the different nations um, because I, I I was asking her a few questions and she tells me that you know besides the fact that they have a different language. Uh, their beliefs are totally different as to, you know, how they feel toward the earth and how they handle the earth. So they are, they are different among themselves. Just because they're Native American doesn't mean that they're all one size fits all. Their belief systems are different on how they do things is different. But, um, I wonder if they're at least they have some kind of diplomacy between all the Native American nations and they have some kind of channels of communication that Someone from another nation could approach them and, you know, get information to them. Well, it's like I told uh, Barbara, I said, Gaia will lead 
will bring the people together that need to do this. You know, they, I mean, how did we find each other, Walt? How did we mm-hmm. find Colleen? Yeah, yeah. We were, led, we were led here. So I'm not concerned. I'm sure that person is out there, the person that will hear our message to them. And, you know, but in order for for that person to, let's say, come out of their own funk, we need to spend, send send love and and just, you know, light energy, sun energy, imagine doing it. But it's really just going into the future and saying, how is it that the, the Navajo people finally stood up in their own power and became free of the shackles that made them feel unworthy? Because in reality, they are the extreme example of what has happened to us. Why do we keep paying the IRS? Because we're not worthy not to. Yeah. And because we accept that it's natural, that it's the way it's supposed to be. No, it's not supposed to be any way. It's supposed to be the way you want your reality to be. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But now it's clear to me. Now I'm accepting it. But you're a witness to the fact that when I started this journey that my job was dissolved, I was in a fear tank. <laughs> Swimming and drinking and sleeping in a, in a vat of fear because I thought, oh, my God, you know, everything is, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? And it was just in my mind. It, it was uh, there was nothing happening outside in the outside reality. It was all what the mind was perceiving. The mind was reacting to the fact that it wasn't complying to the established programs. So that's why it, it was in a state of fear all the time. Because you know, oh, I'm I'm used to this. What do you mean it's not this like this anymore? So you change. That's why it it always holds true. You change yourself. The reality around you changes. It cannot resist. And, and Inelia says that presently, at this present moment, the reality is not as permanent or as fixed as you think it is. It is actually becoming more and more flexible every day. So it's actually taking less time and less effort to get those changes that you want. I absolutely, I mean, I, I yes, I've, I've seen that. And I understand the fear because when I lost my job, I went through the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I'd wake up in the morning and go into a state of panic. The first thing I did was go into a state of panic. Um, it, it's terribly debilita- debilitating. But um, I had good people around me that um, helped me just get through those first weeks. And <coughs> then, it, then it was the belief system. You know, it was like, yep. no, 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 no. This is all happening because of my mind. But even then, even knowing it, I still was waking up every morning in a state of panic, and I'd have to talk myself down, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I sympathize with anybody in that position, but I can tell you the best thing that happened to me was losing that job. <laughs> I'm sure you'd say the same thing. Oh, yeah. You and know, and the, 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 I, I remember, I uh, I forget if it was two or more months after it was gone, I, I actually came across an ex-co-worker at one of the local Menards stores, which is like Home Depot. And I told him, I can't believe that I'm actually saving money. If I had known this, I would have quit years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's- we have this belief that it's, it's another piece of software, people. It's it, They program you, and they program you so well 
It's in your very cells. This belief that you need to have, you know, eight, nine to five job, because if you don't have it, you know, the universe is so stupid, it has no way of getting abundance to you. So you, you have to be smarter than the universe and tell it, okay, I have to have this job. And if you, uh, for those people that may have seen that video, you posted it, and then another person reposted it on Facebook. This millionaire who did the, uh, the presentation, uh, in this TED, this program called TED, and he was blocked out. They wouldn't broadcast it. And he spoke about, you know, the lie of the, the corporate system and, and, and he said it. He says, the more hours that you work, you're actually making less. So, you know, this very guy who's a billionaire and he owns a corporation, he's telling you to your face. And it touched me because that's exactly what was going on in my job. Before I got out of the service department, it was insane. They were, and, and he said it. He says, you know, corporations don't, they say that, oh, they need to um, give the corporations all these tax breaks because they're the, they're um, the ones giving jobs to people. And he says, that's a lie. Corporations don't like to employ people. And I witnessed that because when, before I left the service department, they were letting people go. And all the people remaining, they wanted everybody to do overtime all the time. They wanted 10 hours a day, eight, eight hours on Saturdays, eight hours on Sunday. It was insane. And I, I used to argue with, and I said, it's a compulsory and listen to this double talk. The supervisor goes, no, it's not compulsory. It's not obligatory, but you're expected to do overtime. You know, like, what? What the heck does this mean? And I used to argue, and I said, look, I'll do overtime during the week, or I'll do overtime on the weekend. Don't ask me to do both. I, I don't have the the strength to do it. And I'm a projector. I'm not a generator. I can't, you know, p- past eight hours, I'm essentially useless. You're just paying me to sit there and smell the air because my brain is working on one cylinder. And it's and it was forced on, on on the people. It was crazy the amount of overtime they were doing, and they were uh, letting you know reducing the crew by you were down to like a quarter of the original people, and yet expect the same throughput on on the production. And so, they get it because of fear. Yeah, people it's, fear it. Oh no, no! If I don't do this, they're going to punish me. They're going to let me go. What am I going to do? So anyway, I go back to the fact that um, we're still building our new reality. Um, the out-of-towners may want to deal with versions of us that may still be in the old reality. I don't know if they are. <laughs> we're probably just missing over there. Because understand, we know that, okay, in the old reality, the old reality's got all these people in it, mostly sleepwalking. In the new reality, we've got very few people in it, but wide awake. And we've got placemakers like Stepford Wives positioned in the new reality. So all we have to do is wake them up, and when they wake up, they'll just go, oh, where am I? And you'll be, they'll be in the new reality because they're, to, in order to, to wake up, they're going to have to be in a vibration that will, you know, only match the new reality, the one we're in. Um, we're going to continue to, to, to march and to, I'm glad that they, they were there to kind of like get me to start paying more attention. Um, what I'm asking everybody to do is to start paying more attention. Um, we're going to do this first one, the Navajo. We're going to focus on that water. We're going to focus on those people. 
We're going to give them as much understanding, respect, and love that we can to just create a field of energy that will work with the water and the people, because the people are water, and they're going to wake up and they'll be in the new reality. Because in the new reality, there is no problem with the Navajo land. None. It's pure. Everything on this side of, of reality is pure. It has to be because of the way that it's built. It's built with all these energies that are only pure energies. You know, we put them in the reality dialer. Took us a year. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the early shows, you really should. Because what is this? This is reality sci-fi. And we have a lot of good times doing it. And I say if we're not having fun, we're not doing it right. Yeah. That, um, you know... Um, Anything else you wanted to, uh, have you had any journeys that were interesting or informative? Uh, well, I think I mentioned to you one time when I did a journey for someone. Um, I think it was a gentleman in, in Ohio where his guys are actually in the inner earth. Uh, I did a journey for a young woman and her guys are actually a different group in the inner earth. It was really confusing because I thought, okay, you're in the inner earth. That's it. You're in the inner earth. And <clears throat> I guess Corey Good is correct. There's multiple, multiple groups. They don't, they don't share the same space or place. <laughs> you know, they, the inner, the inner concept at first was so freaky. It was like, ooh, you know, what is this? But the more that I think about it, it kind of like makes sense. And supposedly down there, there's all sorts of weird lighting. And I mean, it's not unhospitable. It's a beautiful place to be in some of the cases. Is that correct? Yep. Hmm. Now, I wonder if, if, if. That'd be something to ask Max. Does he ever find people that have had past lifetimes in the inner earth? I mean, I, I remember past lifetimes, but they're all, they've all been on the surface. <laughs> you know, you wonder. And the thing is that not, not all of them are here to uh, make changes to the reality. This particular girl, the only reason she's here is because for a very long time she's been studying humanity and couldn't get a grasp of what it was about. So she figured the only way to get a real grasp of what humanity was about is to actually incarnate on the surface. So if you were going to label what she's doing, is she's mostly an observer because uh, the books didn't help her. She could not understand, you know, why are these people the way they are? <laughs> well, they, she understood manifestation and manifesting a human body that she could live in and understand it. And that's where... That's the, the, these people, you know, because they're coming from a higher dimension. They're masters of manifestation. The and ones living in the earth? Huh? The ones inside the earth? Yeah, they're four dimensional. They know all about manifestation, but that's the trap. You know, they come into the human vehicle. The human vehicle gets heavily programmed and conditioned by everyone, the parents, the school, the priest, you know. So what happens is that amazing power of manifestation gets subverted to continue sustaining those programs and those you know, fake reality. <clears throat> so they really, believe it or not, they have a, a harder time of it because they have to deprogram themselves before they can actually get 
to do the work they came to do. They, they have to clean themselves, you know, delete all those fake programs so that they can really get across because otherwise they keep, they keep focusing on the bad. They have amazing powers of manifestation. They make more bad. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So here your, your power, the thing that made you unique is actually a liability when you come into this heavily programmed conditioned reality. It's actually working against you as opposed to in, in your favor. Interesting. So any other gems of uh, wisdom? we got about five minutes. Gems. <laughs> gems come from the people. You've heard it, people. You're out there. You can't hide. Time to wake up. Time to contribute to the reality you want, not the reality. Oh, okay, the okay, okay. Talking about <laughs> talking about reality and sci-fi. All right, the X Files. What did you think about the end of the X Files? Well, that's that's why I said to you that was really interesting because number one, it is the same vehicle that was used to kill the girl that was used to harvest fetuses. Number two, that same scene was used in the original X Files. Series, I don't know. Well, what. explain this scene. Which scene? Oh, where they're stuck on a bridge, and they can't go anywhere. All the traffic is stuck on this bridge. So Scully jumps out of the vehicle to meet uh, the other Miller, the other FBI agent who's bringing uh, uh, Fox Mulder into the city. Fox Mulder has fallen ill because they they tweaked they they turned on some trigger into the DNA that makes everybody susceptible to all kinds of diseases. So a simple head cold will kill you. And everybody's falling sick because of that. So finally, uh, Scully has been able to extract uh, the... Um, she's carrying a bag of IV fluid because she managed to extract the, uh, the uh, alien DNA in her, which is the key to shutting off this thing, to turning on your immune system back on. So here that she's getting to the vehicle where Mulder is, and all of a sudden everybody looks up, and there's this the huge triangle ship shining a beam of light down into her, and you see the close-up of her face and the light hitting her eye. And that's a, a, a repetition of a scene that was done in the first, uh, in the first you know, release version, of the version. The first version of the X-Files. But it was Mulder. It was Mulder, the character in play. Scully never saw the ship. Because if you remember that, that was a constant underlying theme of the original series. That whenever something freaky would happen, Mulder would see it, Scully wouldn't. So he would end up looking stupid in front of her because he saw this, you know, he would see this, he would see the ship here. Like, for example, in the Antarctic, in the movie. She falls on the snow, face, face first on the snow, the ship takes off and leaves, and only he sees it. When she when she raises her head, there's nothing there. The sky is clear. So it's always the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found the whole thing to be fascinating. I didn't really watch the uh, first version of it, but I found it fascinating in that they were disclosing some, well, we wouldn't think of it as being surprising, um, but there was a lot of disclosure that the average person is now got that in their head, whether they think it's fiction or not. They've got that in their head. Um, the concept of, uh, well, in the beginning of the, the show, he actually was all bent out of shape because he felt that all of the stuff that he thought was UFO or other stuff was really the um, 
the black forces of the government in the country trying to play him and make him think this, make boogeymans. And then in the end, you know, six six episodes later, it's like, uh, no, I think that boogeyman might be real. <laughs> you know, yeah, and they've got... And they got the two, uh, the two that are like them, the new ones, and I, I kind of think it's going to be a spinoff into another, another version. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's been done before when they spin off, like for example, in, if you remember, the actor, Colin, uh, Colin Meany, who was, uh, Chief O'Brien, and, uh, he, he was, uh, the, O'Brien, the officer who handled the transporter in, right. uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Right. And they used him when they spun off and they made uh, Deep Space Nine. He became right. Chief O'Brien. In fact, they had a, like a little side joke there when Q made an appearance in Deep Space Nine. And Chief O'Brien says, Q, you don't remember me from, from uh, the USS Enterprise? And Q goes, O'Brien, weren't you one of the little people? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're at the end of the hour or the end of the show. Um, I thank you all so much for being here. All righty. I think we're back. It's typed in that this is interesting that we got dropped by Skype, um, and it was just before the hour, the first, the end of the first hour, and now we got dropped at the end of the second hour. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, and it was still not more, much more than, you know, 40 to 60 seconds, so that's pretty darn good. It's some kind of a code, Morse code or something. We've got a code going. <laughs> anyway, I hope that we, uh, we provided you with some, uh, thinking and also some fun. Um, love you all. Walt, Colleen, yes, thanks again. Please. Thank you. Yeah. You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.